We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. everybody and welcome to another episode of the corner podcast this week's episode of the corner is brought to you by casper mattresses casper is an online retailer of premium mattresses for a fraction of the cost you know me and andreas are always covering events we're always writing articles but when we do have time to sleep we lay our head down on a nice pillowy soft premium mattress from Casper Mattresses. Casper is revolutionizing the mattress industry by cutting the cost of dealing with resellers and going straight to you. No showrooms, no middleman. Everyone's seen those creepy guys trying to follow you around the department store. None of that anymore. You get your hands on a nice premium mattress by going straight to Casper Mattresses. Yeah, man. I mean, I, I got to get my rest. So Casper Mattresses is the, is the goods. I'm telling you right now. So listen, you can get $50 off of any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com backslash the corner and entering the promo code the corner. That's one word, the corner. That's casper.com backslash the corner promo code T H E C O R N E R. Terms and conditions apply. What up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Corner Podcast. Shout out to the sponsors. We are back with a normal show. No more mini episodes. I'm sure Andreas is going to have a lot to say about my my one-man band birthday episode from last week. If you guys haven't checked it out, 
It's up on the SoundCloud, on iTunes. It's a quick, like, 30-minute listen. I dropped some straight fire on that podcast. No goddamn Mikel moments. <laughs> I, I have no comment. <laughs> we'll get to that in a second. But let's start off with some, you know, stuff out of the realm of combat sports. Not much going on, but I did want to talk about Drake just cleaning up this weekend at the Billboard Music Awards. Big deal, little deal, or no deal that Drake just went crazy and took all the awards? I mean, it depends on what side you're on. You know, for me, it's not a big deal because I don't put too much stock in the Billboard Awards in the first place. For one, uh, last year, the rap album of the year was Meek Mill. So, and that... And it beat out Drake, Kendrick, and I can't remember who else was on that list. But, yeah. So after that, well, I mean, not even after that. But that was just another reason for me to say, who cares? But the fact that Drake has been able to do so well, um, he's a chameleon. And I think he made a a very good point when he did the interview with, I think it was Beats, um, with DJ Semtex. When he said that he shouldn't be categorized as a rapper. He's right. He's absolutely right. The dude is a, he's an... See, I hate to use the word artist because artist would mean that you're like you can technically do something like play an instrument, which Drake cannot do as far as I know. But the dude, he pretty much does things outside of the realm of hip hop often. And like his latest album is just a, a it's a playlist. It's kind of like a, a combination of rapping, singing, like dance hall, house music. Like he's no longer just a rapper. He can rap very well, in my opinion. I don't know about everybody else. Some people just hate Drake. But <laughs> The fact that he won all these awards is not really surprising to me. Uh, but he did beat Adele, which surprises me. Um, I didn't think Billboard would give it to him over Adele. But, yeah, it's, this is Drake, man. I think the the Drake's popularity and his success has really been understated because there's so many people that don't like him. It's, he's not Ja Rule. He's had a career that's been much longer than that. He's maintained his success. And maybe when it's all said and done, we'll appreciate him a little bit more. Me, myself. I'm a Drake fan. I've been a Drake fan since day one. I enjoy his music. But he's done a lot for this game, and he's really changed how people approach music in general. Like, look at, I mean, look at Bryson Tiller. Look at everybody else that's come after him. So it's, it's a big deal from that perspective. But for hip-hop, who cares? He's John Cena. It's bigger than that. How do you get bigger than John Cena? The guy yeah. carried wrestling for 15 years now. He, but he's more like The Rock. He's not The Rock. I mean, come on, who's bigger than who's bigger than Drake in music? I, I would say Kanye's the rock, Drake is Cena, if we had to put tags on. I mean, if you want to. Yeah, yeah but yeah, you know how I feel about Kanye. So. <laughs> well, and, now, and, now you're jaded on Kanye. But well, <laughs> not only that, I mean, if, for anybody who's listening, I, I need you to, to Google, put in your Google machine, as my man Conrad from the, uh, the Something to Wrestle 2 podcast says, put in your Google machine, GLC radio interview, Kanye West. And there's an interview where GLC talks about Kanye in ways that people that on, only people that are close to him can talk about. Where he basically says that he's been chasing um, the approval of white people for so long that it's pretty much clouded his vision. He's completely disconnected from hip hop culture. It's a 10 minute listen. It's a fascinating interview. It kind of verifies what a lot of us who've been in the industry know. But yeah, man, like it's it's hard for me to say that. Kanye's the rock because I feel like he's so disconnected with the culture. I mean, he's, people still like him, but yeah. I mean, the rock is disconnected from the wrestling culture. Kind of. I mean, he Kanye's kind of disconnected from hip hop. He still drops albums that people buy. He still raps. It's just he's disconnected in a different form than the rock. 
obviously much more negative form. But The Rock is disconnected from hip from wrestling. He just comes back, wrestles a match every now and then, makes an appearance, and bounces. So I, I think they're very similar. But that's not to say, you know, Drake's amazing, obviously. Um, the playlist was cool. I, I, I want to see him drop a real hip-hop album again. You're never going to get it. But yeah, we might not do it. Because right now, how many people, quote-unquote, are rappers? No, yeah, exactly. Like, they're, 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 I can't name, yeah, I can't name too many people. The closest maybe being J. Cole and Big Sean. And to me, even they kind of stray outside of it. Um, well, you know, they just take hiatuses and shit. Like, there's no quote-unquote real rappers anymore. I mean, you got Kendrick, you got Cole, you got Sean, you got... Kendrick's um, so much more than just a rapper. He, he damn near a rapper slash activist, right? Well, I mean, that's a whole other discussion on the <laughs> activist side of things. But, I mean, that, that's that's nothing... You don't. You can't really separate. You could be a rapper and an activist. Like there's no like there's no slash really, but you know like Kendrick as a rapper is a rapper. Like J Cole raps. When you take um, three year hiatuses between projects, it's hard for me to call you a quote unquote rapper. Like well, they, you mean, put a lot of, like rappers. You rap. You drop mixtapes. You drop this album. You drop that out. Like when you're fully immersed in rapping, then it's different. And each of these guys have been before. There's times when Drake, you know, dropped this album and then yo he's dropping these two singles and then next yo he's on tour but he's dropping this and constant collabs and all this stuff now it's now it's like yo you get two or three features an album let it wait and chill for a second and then he does this and he does you know maybe a little acting and saturday night live and j cole kendrick they're all the same like that it's not constant barrage of music that we see at least in my eyes, to quote unquote real rappers. When you rap twenty four seven, and you and you're dropping this project, that project, EP, mixtape, all this stuff, then you're a rapper. I don't know if there's too many rappers left, uh, except these little young wild kids from like Florida, who drop content every other week, and the occasional OG like Gucci Mane or something when he ain't busy. But outside of that, there's not too many rappers. Two Chains is a rapper. Yeah. Okay. All right. So. But I mean, all right. Nas is a rapper, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and Nas, Nas, Nas did his rapidly rap shit for a second, and then turned into what we see now, which is I come and drop some art every three years. But I mean, you act like he didn't drop art every two to three years before. But the time between Illmatic, it was written, I am, uh, and Stillmatic was about a two to three year span between those albums. It's common, like the industry's changed so much where artists put out music so often that you're ready to see something after a 12 month cycle. But back in the day, you know, Biggie, it took three years for Life After the Death after Ready to Die came out. Yeah, but we saw compilation albums, right? So we saw compilation features, albums. He was on a maze joint, he was on a total joint. There was, a, I guess, more outlets to freestyle. So you well, get constant, it, it just feels like that's missing. There's no mixtapes anymore. I grew up knee deep in the mixtape era. So I had new music from my favorite rappers every three months, if I had to wait that long. Because every month Clue dropped a mixtape, there was a fab song, at least a new song, every month. There was a new Locke song or Jadakiss song every month. New Joe Bunny. Well, you, it's, all I mean, guys. it's obviously it's obviously different than like the blog scene took over the mixtape scene. Right. So you you did get a lot of dosages of your favorite rappers often yeah. like Kendrick, like they, they would appear. So I don't think nothing has changed. I, I think the way you consume music has changed. I don't necessarily think that that changes the perspective on who's a rapper and who's not. 
Um, and there's a lot of rappers like Royce and Conway and like, you know, who just Conway just dropped the mixtape today as we speak. Um, you know, Rock Marciano. There's like a lot of rappers st- that still are out there. No, They're yeah, not- I mean, just young guys coming up. I mean, it seems like it's not the wave anymore. Joey Badass raps. Yeah, Joey Badass drops a and nice amount out- of yeah, content. Yeah, he's dope. Yeah, I'll give and you he- that. Yeah, so anyway, but the, the, the point is, is that I just think you know you're never gonna see Drake drop an album like that because not only is it just not in his DNA, but he's matured to the point where a lot of people just you just. Why rap all the time? Like his playlist <laughs> makes sense because it's a bunch of influences that he enjoys, and he made music off of those influences, and that's why it's called a playlist. People were, you know, critical of, of why he would go that route and why he would call it a playlist. But when you listen to it, it's not really an album. It's not really sewn together. It's a, it's like a bunch of influences and this, you know, things that inspired him, put into a gigantic playlist of, of songs that he would enjoy listening to in his car. It just it's him. So you know. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. I, I appreciate Drake. I love the performance in the Bellagio Fountains. That was dope. Um, they gave him a budget. You don't see budgets too much. <laughs> uh, Billboard actually broke the bank on some performances. That was. Do- I really like the Cher performance. Say what you want. Cher she still sang- got it. She's got it when she is lip syncing. When the, when that when that mic cuts on, she's terrible. But she's I, she looks seventy. Up, she's seventy and she looked amazing. That's well, all that matters. You know how much work Sarah has had done on her? It doesn't matter. They and can that... claymation her face for all I care. At 70 years old, you shouldn't look like that. It's a, it's just to be marveled at. If you can afford it, you can look like that. No, because Kylie Jenner's 21 and she looks worse than Cher. Different surgeon. And Cher's money is extraordinarily long. Like Kylie Jenner's money is her parents and siblings' money. Cher's money is long. Like that's that's. You said that shit on Twitter. They would have been at you. Like Kylie's dropping that new lip liner next month. What do you mean she has her own money? They would have killed you. She ain't got Cher money. (laughs) Half the people on Twitter don't know who the hell Cher is. Exactly. Um, Let's talk about combat sports then. Let's. We're starting with boxing next week, just because I really couldn't. Hone in on where to start. We didn't have a lot of MMA news. Wrestling, we're saving to the end because I just had a full wrestling podcast without you. And I really don't feel like hearing you break down my every thought from last week's show. <laughs> so we got to warm up and start cordial on this podcast. So boxing, Terrence Crawford came out and just dominated Diaz this week. What's What do you think of the fight? And then we got to talk about what's next for Terrence Crawford. I mean... Terrence Crawford has he systematically picks apart everybody he fights, and he's between him and Vasil Lomachenko, there aren't too many fighters that I can see that make adjustments on the fly and are still very devastating in their approach to the fight. And Crawford, what he did to Diaz, Diaz, who was a completely capable boxer, by the way, who gave Lamont Peterson hell and probably maybe should have won that fight, but he made him look like a novice. And if you watch Crawford fight, he's like a surgeon in there. He He's not as athletically gifted as Vasil Lomachenko is in terms of like footwork and, and the angles that he punches in. But it's it, he's he's a little bit different. He makes these, these minute adjustments and he, he controls space and distance. Um, dude, he was he ma- he makes a case as one of the best top five pound for pound fighters in the world. He just needs competition. That's, That's the a- key. And you mentioned athleticism, trying to move up in weight to fight people. Is a little bit different when you're not athletic. So I worry about that moving forward. I think 
he may be a guy who stays at 140 for the long haul. I don't. I think he's going to 147. I think that's inevitable. I just don't Give think it. he can compete to, to the top five level. Should I say that? He, he's, mm. I've seen people compete at 147. Listen, Timothy Bradley could win 85% of his fights at 147. I think Crawford's better than Bradley. But still, the, the elite, man, him versus Porter, him versus Thurman, that, those get a little dicey. Him versus Spence, you're, you're, you're into a different realm. He might have a little bit of trouble. He'd get a, he'd win, but he'd have a little bit of trouble with their Mir Khans. No, he wouldn't. I don't think he, he knocks Mir Khan out. I don't think he outclasses Mir Khan like like that, like that, just because of the size difference. No, I think he douses Mir Khan in gasoline and sets him on fire. I think that's how <laughs> that fight goes. I, I mean, dude. You, Hypothetically, like, of course. But, I mean, we saw Danny Garcia, too. Like, I don't know. When Danny Garcia's, went up, it was just Garcia's like, not rough. as good as Crawford. They're not even on the same level. Oh, like, that's all right. Like, like, but it, but but anybody who's listening to this knows that I'm not a fan of. Dan- I I don't think Danny Garcia is as good as advertised. Not, I'm not gonna say I'm not a fan. I think he's a good fighter. I don't think he's as good as people said he is. Terrence Crawford, I believe, is the real deal. And you know, even look back to the Gamboa fight. You look what he's done to his opponents. I don't think seven pounds is going to make that much of a difference because he's not he's not a small guy to begin with. So I think he easily makes 147, and he gives everybody in the division hell. Um, and a, a Terrence Crawford Errol Spence fight would be fascinating. No, that'd be great. I just I have the same gripes against him that I have against Garcia, which is why I don't pick Garcia against elite level 147 pound fighters. Which is you're not as athletic as them, and your adjustments are great, and your corners are great, and that's what carried Danny Garcia's entire career, which makes him such a great boxer. And their adjustments are amazing, but sooner or later you have to have the athleticism, the the pure pop to go back and forth with these guys at a higher weight and i just i don't know that and seven pounds means a world of a difference you're, you're telling guys like you know you throw errol spence into the ring with a charlo shit gets really really difficult and that's seven it, pounds it can get really difficult but again like the difference between terrence crawford and danny garcia is like a football field because <laughs> Garcia can box. You're just shitting on Danny Garcia. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, Gar- Danny Garcia is a good boxer, right? But he doesn't make adjustments on the fly, right? He, he aims to land that counter left hook the entire fight. That's, it, that's just what he does. Terrence Crawford can beat you in a number of ways. And when I say he's not athletic, as athletic as Vasil Lomachenko, that's the most athletic guy in boxing right now, in, in, in a boxing ring. So to put him below Vasil Lomachenko puts him above like 90% of the other. Because there, are, there aren't fighters that can do what Terrence Crawford does. The but way he switches stances. Like he, like he's not as compete. athletic as Porter or Thurman. No, 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 no. Wrong. He is as athletic as Thurman. Porter is more physical than mm. Terrence Crawford. So there's a big difference in physicality. Like Porter's going to come into and bulldoze you over. See, I but, see finesse. And to me, finesse isn't necessarily athleticism. I mean, dude, I mean, for a guy who can switch stances and can throw punches from various angles, just not as as well and as brilliantly as Vasil Lomachenko. However, Crawford is also great defensively. There, there are a lot of things that, that Terrence Crawford does extremely well. Like, I, I don't think he has that much of a problem at 147. I think he moves up in weight and he gives these guys hell. He's, so he's that good. What's next? Does he move up in weight or what I want to see? Does Pacquiao come down and meet him? 144, and, and we finally see the passing of the torch. Two things. One, 
Pacquiao's not moving down, that's where he should be fighting in the first place. 140 is where he needs to be. Yeah, I mean, but you got to be committed to cut weight, yeah, right? Of course. <laughs> the, uh, the other thing is Crawford's going to get all the belts first. He's going to do the, the Gennady Golovkin. He's going to get all the belts, and then he's going to defend them. Or he'll vacate them and move up to make more money. But he's going to fight uh, – Jesus, why can't I remember the kid's name? Uh, oh, you know uh, what I'm talking? Yeah, it starts with an L. It's like a little African name. I just wrote this in my article the other day. Jesus, I just had a brain fart. Somebody's yeah. gonna kill me on Twitter for this. But uh, he's going to—he's gonna collect the belts from him. He's gonna un- unify, and then if a Pacquiao fight doesn't materialize, which I don't necessarily know if it will, it really all depends on Crawford. Uh, they did well. HBO did very well with this fight this weekend, and I think they did a million viewers, which is great. I just don't know how that translates to pay per view against a Manny Pacquiao that most people don't even care about anymore. So. He's like Manny Pacquiao's almost in that Miguel Cotto situation where his asking price doesn't justify uh, what the pay-per-view buys will be. And that's why Crawford, I mean, that's why Miguel Cotto split from Rock Nation and took his ass to HBO to fight a fight that does nothing for anybody. I thought he was with Showtime. Probably, or Golden Boy, right? Who, Miguel? Miguel was with Rock Nation. No, he was yeah. with Rock Nation. His next fight is under Golden Boy, right? Yeah, but he's still Miguel Cotto Promotions. Okay. That's really what it is. But... He's at that point oh, where... And, and Miguel, Dongo, by the way. And Dongo, thank you. Yeah. Um, but Cotto's at that point where his asking price, like, Rock Nation was just like, we can't get anybody to bite on a... Like, even the James Kirkland fight was ridiculous because <laughs> he's asking for all this money for a mediocre fight that doesn't set him up for anything. It doesn't Like, Miguel Cotto's not going to do anything else. So Pacquiao's in the same position where he can fight whoever he wants on this world tour, his farewell tour that's going to make him a lot of money, or he can go in there, stop his money, killed by Terrence Crawford. And I, and I say killed because I don't know if Pacquiao is still the same guy anymore. No, I don't think he has that killer instinct at all. And we saw against Mayweather, to me, Mayweather had the opportunities to really unload on him, and he didn't. No, that's just not what Mayweather does. He's he doesn't a, take chances. Yeah, he doesn't take chances. But when he's young kids, I think they'll want to make a statement. Because right. you knock out Pacquiao, and that's what I've been saying, and that's what I wrote in my article. The person, the young person who fights Pacquiao can be just promoted to a next level of stardom. Because at this point, if you take chances, you can knock out Pacquiao. It's possible. And, and with a knockout, they can then say, I've done something Floyd May- Mayweather could not. And when you can say you've done something... In the boxing world, in today's boxing scene, that Mayweather has not, you have one hell of a chip on your shoulder. And yeah. people look at you differently, and Skip Bayless now proclaims you the greatest boxer in this era because Mayweather couldn't knock out Pacquiao, but you knocked out Pacquiao. And we've seen once mainstream media, and you know it doesn't matter how many Max Kellermans you fit in there to try to bring sense to the world, the mainstream media, once a couple of those guys take off with that, the cowherds, and you you think of damn who else Whitlock's, which don't get me started on Whitlock. Please don't bring that name up in here. <laughs> that name should be barred for this damn podcast. But you know what I'm saying? Like those guys catch wind of your name, the mainstream media loves you and they take off. So that's what he needs. That's what Terry Crawford needs. He needs the Pacquiao sacrificial lamb treatment so he can take that next step. And Aram has to see that because Aram has to keep making money. And this little short dough Pacquiao fights every six months. In between being a senator and working, it works for Pacquiao. When like it, when did Bob Aram ever care about what worked for Pacquiao? 
when Pacquiao made him a ton of money. So, I mean, but you have to look at it like this. If Manny Pacquiao, the reality is if Manny Pacquiao sells out a soccer stadium in another country, they're, they're basically going to draw a lot of money. They don't have to worry about television rights. You know, it's, it's not as serious because you're selling out a huge stadium for a country that's willing to bring you there as basically a tourist attraction to beat up their countrymen, right? So it's like Jeff Horn is a guy who, you know, the countrymen will root for Horn, but they're really here to see Pacquiao. So they can fill up stadiums on this world tour and make a lot of money doing it. Whereas fighting Crawford is almost like a death sentence because if you get doused, you get beat up by, by Terrence Crawford, you're not coming back. Well, so you, you just have to be fairly competitive. You, you have to be uh, like Klitschko, where he was competitive for three rounds of that fight. And we all think it was the most amazing thing ever. But he got washed for five, competitive for three, hit the wall and got knocked out. But we have such a newfound admiration for him. That's all Pacquiao has to do. Be competitive for three or four rounds. Make us think that it's close. And then you can do whatever the hell you want at that. Yeah, I just, I don't think Pacquiao, the reason why, the primary reason I don't think Pacquiao is going to take the risk is I don't think he has time to prepare for somebody like Crawford. With the senatorial duties, I just don't think between him and Freddie Roach and their abbreviated training camps to fight Jesse Vargas, you know, where they have to train at like 10 o'clock at night. Like, you don't have to train that hard to beat Jesse Vargas. <laughs> Your it's, boy. It's just, it's just, it is what it is. Like, he doesn't have to train as hard to beat a Jeff Horn. But to fight a Terrence Crawford, it's going to take Freddie Roach, who got a good look at him in the Victor Postal fight. And he's, he's going to have to step back and really draw up a game plan and implement it and take a lot of time, uh, Pacquiao's focus and time, which Pacquiao really doesn't have. So uh, if we get to see that fight, great. But I, I just really don't see them trotting Pacquiao out there to get demolished. Although it would be smart in the long term because you need to make a star out of Terrence Crawford. Yeah, I just don't know who else because you're not getting Adrian Broner over. They need to. <laughs> Heyman's going to ask the King's ransom for that. Yeah, it's it's. I mean, it's damn near fifty-fifty split. It's true. That is true. It, it's Broner it's brings rough. everything to that pay per view. Well, does he? Like, do people really pay for Adrian Broner pay per views these days? Like, I mean, we it, as the B side, I would argue Adrian Broner might be one of the best B sides you can have in all of boxing, if not the best. Yeah, I just don't know if people are gonna buy a pay per view. No, so, they they buy for the. I mean, he's a villain, and you buy to watch Crawford knocking the hell out. I, again, I just don't know if 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 Andre Ward and Kovalev can't do two hundred thousand pay per view buys. I don't know what Terrence Crawford, Adrian Broner would do. That's very true. All right, we got to talk about Javante Davis, but first, people, if you hear noise in the background, that's because Andre's hell has gotten bougie. Before we started this podcast, he was like, "Yo, you got to give me a couple minutes." I said, "All right, cool. Why?" And he was like, "Oh, um, you know, maids cleaning up real quick." I don't even know this man no more. <laughs> every time I try to get close to him, you know, I, I go for a pedicure. I do the brunch thing every now and then. I think I'm getting old. He just steps it up another level. Uh, you got to, man. So gotta... hey, excuse Andreas right now. He's living life to, to the fullest. Um, Javante Davis. I think he has huge potential moving forward. I like the kid. He, you know, he got the little bit of cockiness to his attitude. But deep down, he's a really cool dude. And I think he has the skills and the natural power to be something. You aren't sure yet. You're still taking the I need to see more approach, which you are famous for, for everyone except for Triple G. Yeah, well, because Triple G, I didn't need to see more because the guy won an Olympic silver medal. So there wasn't too much more I needed to see. Would somebody like Javante Davis, who 
you know, he trucked a European who started boxing late, and uh, it wasn't a big shocker to me. I need to see Javante Davis fight somebody who's going to throw back. Hmm. That's not we haven't seen that yet. Like, like once Javante Davis gets rolling, guys sh- turn into a turtle and they, they cover up and just hope that the storm ends. And it really doesn't because Javante is a, a beast of a kid. I need to see him fight. He's fighting at 130, and there's some quality competition at 130. So <laughs> we just mentioned the up. name a little while ago. Yeah, and he's not fighting him anytime soon. No, I and, asked and, him, and he was like, he's not against it. Because his goal is to be on pay-per-view in the next two years. It's possible. Which is possible. But I, I made it clear when I interviewed him, if you want to be on pay-per-view in the next two years, it's going to be against Lomachenko. How do you think you match up? And he says, I, I think our power matches up well. I said, you know what? I don't disagree with that. It just happens to be the other stuff that Lomachenko brings to the table, which is a little uneven. The, the footwork, the defense, the adjustments, that's, that's where the table leans a bit. Power? Eh, I, I'd say it matches up. But he seems to think he's ready in the next two years, not right now. Um, uh, you know, if I say 130, I, I guarantee you he'll be probably close to 140 by the time he, you know, in the next two years. But at 130, there, you know, aside from Lomachenko, there, you know, who's fighting Orlando Salido in a rematch, which would be great um, to see how he performs in his getting that fight back after being a pro for a while. I think he just drags Orlando Salido. But is Salido making some, weight is the question. Well, this time I'm sure it's going to be contractually obligated that, you know, <laughs> he can't just blow it like he did last time. But like a Javante Davis and Takashi Miura fight, I'd love to see. Mm-hmm. Um, Miguel Burchelt, I'd love to see him fight him, who's only got one loss on his record. I'd like to see anybody that's going to throw hands back with Javante Davis. Like Javante, what he's had is guys who just freeze because yeah. he hits hard and he's fast. Um, but I, I need to see him defensively because Adrian Broner, and I'm not saying Javante Davis is the same as Adrian Broner, completely different fighters. Adrian Broner early on in his career fought guys who didn't fire back. So all you saw was a lot of offense. When somebody fired back in the form of Mike Marcos Maidana or even a Pauly Maladonji who doesn't really hit that hard, but who fired back and was, wasn't scared to stay in the pocket, or Daniel Ponce de Leon, we saw Broner had defensive deficiencies that would hurt him later on. Davis needs to face some guys who are going to hit him back, and I need to see how that chin holds up against some formidable competition. No, that's fair. He looked good, though. Looked impressive this weekend. What stole the show was Mayweather. Afterwards, giving his promo, Mayweather McGregor. Dre, it's happening, man. Are you ready? Yeah. Are you ready to concede? No. Damn it. You're what? like Trump. Like, you're just like, <laughs> like, why would I concede? Like, okay, let me see. We, we didn't talk. We didn't have anything last week because I wasn't around. So I don't know. I'm trying to catch myself up here. Um, where were we? Let's see. Miguel, um, not Miguel, I'm sorry. McGregor signed his half of the contract with his promoter, which was news for reasons that are beyond me. Um, you just crushed that. Like, it's not new. Like, it's, it's part not, of the process. It's not. It, like, we never heard Manny Pacquiao signed his deal to fight Floyd Mayweather with Bob Aaron. We never heard that. <laughs> that was never a hurdle that needed to be cleared to make that fight happen. But you know in the UFC it is. Because there's a lot of language on, like, hey, Connor, if you fight now, you got to fight before the end of the year in UFC. Or, Connor, if I allow you to fight now, you just can't bounce. You are obligated to fight three more times for us. Stuff like that needs to be done. Or, it Connor, when you come back, I can't give you the $60 million you're going to make on this fight. Do you understand that? We could renegotiate, but you better take this 8 to 10 mil, and we figure stuff out after that. Don't think you're coming back for what you're making in this fight. Well, my point is that's not news in regards to a Mayweather fight. That stuff doesn't even matter. Because it's like saying, it's like, you know, me and you um, have agreed to split 
the winnings of Powerball. Now we just got to wait for the numbers to come in. That's basically what they did. That's what they announced. It's like, come on, man. Like, you don't have the fight yet. And you're saying that you signed your half of the contract. There is no contract. I feel you like s- that's important, though. Yo, we go have some Powerball, and then we wait until the end. You'd be like, yo, by the way, I drove my car over the state line to go pick this up. I know we went half on the money, but I got the gas. I went. I took time out of my schedule. I took a day off work. So I'm going to keep 75. You don't keep 25. This is some shit we should discuss beforehand, right? It makes it a perfect. lot more important. But that's perfectly fine, but it's not newsworthy is my point. Like, it's, it means nothing to Powerball overall. It, it, means, it means something. If you don't discuss it and afterwards, McGregor's just like, yo, ain't coming back for less than 50. That's, that's, that's fine. But what I'm saying is it's not news. and It's not something that you put on the table and say, I signed my half of the contract. That that there is no contract. Floyd Mayweather, <laughs> there is no contract between Floyd Mayweather and Conor McGregor. There are two sides that are still far, far apart because Dana White could show up to the meeting where he says he's gonna meet with Al Heyman and not Floyd Mayweather, which is key here. You're not gonna leave Floyd Mayweather out of this conversation. No. That's a slight to Floyd. But you're not gonna have this conversation show up and say, Well, this is what me and Connor agreed upon. And then what if Floyd just takes a piss on the contract? Yeah. Like, and, and then it's then you need to go back to the drawing board with your fighter and start all over again. I and think it, they come to an agreement. Once again, it was a three-sided negotiation. We'll agree on that, right? It, it once was Mayweather, Connor, UFC. Those three sides. Yeah, but one side is on the other side of the table that I don't care about. Cool, but now I, it's I, a I two-sided discussion, which makes shit a lot easier. So if Does Mayweather, it? yeah, if Mayweather comes what? in. And, wait, 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 wait. Here's what I'm going to ask you. Yeah. Was it ever in doubt that Conor McGregor would be in, in this, him and Dana would come to an agreement? Was, was that ever in doubt? No, but it's the okay. type of agreement. It's the, hey, Mayweather, if he tries to lowball us, we're not taking anything less than 100, because that's what Pacquiao kind of got. We take a little less than Pacquiao. I think Pacquiao was, what, 120? No, we'll take a little less than Pacquiao. We're going to do similar numbers. So we'll take the 100. All right, so Mayweather comes with 80. Yo, we can't take 80. We can take 100. All right, we settle at 100. Now, Dana and Connor know, all right, we're going 60-40. So 60's coming to the UFC off top. Connor, you're getting 40. And then we'll split the pay-per-view points. And then that's how you do it. So this was important for that reason. They cleared up all the back-end stuff. Like, yo, no matter what Mayweather offers, if Mayweather comes and says, yo, you're getting 50. At least Dana knows now, okay, I'm getting 60% of 50, Connor's getting 40%. Nah, that's not going to work. Cool, so we need to ask for more. So even if they get 80, they know their split, what they're comfortable with. So Dana can go to the UFC and go to WME, IMG, and say, yo, what's your bottom number? And they can say 60 mil to step away. Cool, so I get 60%, I need 60 mil. Connor, we can't do this shit for under 100, because that's what the company says minimum we need. That's so much... Before you can even talk to Floyd. That's such a huge hurdle. So it's Floyd can come it's, with it's his not, numbers and be like, yo, huge, yo Floyd, it is. Like, yo, Floyd, we need 100. And then Floyd's just like, all right, if you need 100, damn, then I need 270. And they're like, man, that's a huge discrepancy. But you know what? You know what, Floyd? You take 250. You give that other 20 to us. So we go 120, 250. Got a deal. That's cool I mean, with you. That's cool with me. There. And they know because their numbers are already cool with Connor. And Connor takes his 50. The UFC takes their 70. And you call it a day. 
It makes the yep. negotiation so much easier to have two sides instead of the three that they just had three weekends ago. My point is, it's not news. I don't care. Like, <laughs> we're not going to hear about Floyd Mayweather and Al Heyman coming to an agreement before they go to the table with uh, Conor McGregor and Dana White. No. We're not going to hear of <laughs> Floyd Mayweather signing a deal with Showtime unless it's some unprecedented deal like he had for six fights, which was a different story altogether. But we're not, this isn't news. This doesn't mean anything has progressed at all. No, there is that, no that is true. Nothing has progressed at all. So as far as the actual between the two sides fight but to get it from three sides to two it is it's a step i'm not sure if it's you know headline newsworthy but it's you know it's worth mentioning we blew I mean, it out look, of proportion probably look, look another analogy it's like me me and you hanging out and there's a girl you want to date and i say you shouldn't wear that shirt wear this shirt and you wear this shirt and she still doesn't date you now you just got my shirt that's really like that's really all that there, that's all there is like we just came to agreement on how you should dress for the dance but the girl's still not going out with you. It doesn't really matter. Like, none of this stuff matters. And it's not nothing you announce over the loudspeaker in your high school. I have come to an agreement that you're going to wear a, uh, a cummerbund and it's going to be gold. Like, nobody cares. Nobody I tell you cares. this much. If I bag the girl with that cummerbund, everyone the next Monday at school is wearing a cummerbund. Well, that's fine. Next Monday we can talk about it. But until then, this is a non-starter, non-news item, and it means absolutely nothing. And for anybody to take this and say we're closer you're ridiculous. We're still in the same place we were before, which is a lot, a lot of talk. Damn, there's, well, Jerry's just always, always raining on the parade. I got to, man. Like, there's not enough logic <laughs> used in these conversations. Like, the fact that, that Conor McGregor made this news and was like, I signed my half of the contract. There ain't no half of the contract. You signed your contract with your promoter. Come on. <laughs> which is damn near unheard of because they're your promoter. They should have your best interest. Once again, it's a crazy situation. I feel like we, we took a, a minor step ahead. All right. We're, we're inching towards the finish line. It, we're just at a turtle's pace right now. Um, us, we're inching towards this break. So let's take a quick break. We're going to come back. Got to talk MMA. Not a lot to talk about, but some pretty good stuff. We're going to run through that real quick. You guys stay tuned. We'll be right back. Listen up. Because we need help putting out the show that you love for free every week, giving it free to the people, now we know nobody likes filling out surveys, but we really need you to do it. It won't take you more than five minutes, and besides helping out the show, you'll be entered for a chance to win a $100 iTunes gift card. You know what I can do with $100 on iTunes? I'm living life large on iTunes with that, and you guys get that just for helping us out. We know some of you may have already done surveys like this in the past, but we really need you to log in and fill this thing out as accurately as possible. Yeah, man. I mean, once we know more about you, we'll be able to deliver the show and the sponsors you dream about. Finding sponsors who are a good fit means we get to give you the deals and information the brands you care about while keeping this show free to enjoy every week. Free to enjoy every week. It means you don't have to pay to subscribe for nothing. All right. If you don't care about helping us and making the show better, do it for the chance to win a free iTunes or Amazon.com gift card. Right. You know, like do it for free. Do it for the gifts. And if there's not, you know, just think about it. If there's not that many of you doing it, there's a better chance to win. So please. Do us this solid and go to thecornersurvey.com. Once again, that's thecornersurvey.com. Do that. Keep the lights on for us. Let us cater to what you need. You know, you can tell us what you like and what you don't like, and then we can keep it all funky and knock this thing out. I know the Corner Club got our back. You guys are going to fill out that survey. We're going to get more ads. We're going to be bringing you this for free for a long, long time. So shout out to y'all. What up, everybody? We are back from that quick break. Thank you guys for always taking that survey and helping us out. Much appreciated. We're here to talk MMA. 
First thing we have to talk about is not even UFC. Bellator. Rory McDonald. I've always been a huge Rory fan. That's always been really cool. I, you know, we got to see like the robot Rory come out, all business, dominated in his Bellator debut. And it makes me look at it and say, I don't know if anyone there is going to stop him. I think he runs through all the talent in that division. And I don't see how Rory McDonald a year from now isn't a two-division champ. When we just saw Branch as a two-division champ, I, I don't see how Rory McDonald isn't. I mean, I, I probably agree with you there. I mean, Rory, I mean, to me, there was really no doubt that he beat Paul Daly. Paul Daly has no ground game. All Rory had to do was suck him in, choke him out. It's really simple. Um, you know, Diego Lima, what is Diego Lima the champ? Um, who else do you have in there? I mean, there's, there's really for, you mean, Lorenz Larkin, I don't think he's competition for Rory. And I like Lorenz, but I think, again, I think Rory's got too many skills. And if he's aggressive, when Rory is aggressive, He's extremely dangerous. When he sits back, he can have these weird counter-striking fights where it gets pretty boring. Um, but when he comes in to finish you, it's hard to beat. So I don't, I don't know who beats him in Bellator. I, I really have no idea. Yeah, I, I don't know. And it's it's fun to watch, though, right? I mean, MVP would be my next ejection, but he he hasn't had a step up in competition. And then we get the fight. Yeah, he's got he has to step like, obviously yeah. after Daily has to be the next fight. Yeah, after what happened with the, the little brawl in the crowd, yes, an MVP Paul Daly fight needs to happen next. It's a litmus test. We got to see how good MVP really is. And uh, I, after what I saw from Daly, I'm not sure how good Daly is right now. I mean, people forget. Like, you look at Bellator, you look at Paul Daly. You look at what happened with Paul Daly's last fight in the UFC when he got grounded out by Josh Koscheck and what got him booted out of the UFC. You look at, you know, what he did against Nick Diaz when he got knocked out. Um Paul Daly's never been that good. He's got good <laughs> hands, but I mean, he's not he's not a bad fighter. I think he's a good fighter, but I don't think he's like championship caliber. So, you know, I, like I wasn't surprised by how it what happened, how it happened, when it happened. But I think Paul Daly is the perfect person for MVP to figure out if Michael Venom Page is really the truth at welterweight because he's fought a bunch of cans. Yeah, I don't. I I mean, I guess I got tricked into thinking he was a little bit better, but it's all level of competition, I guess. At yeah. the highest level, Bellator is getting pretty good. I would say that. At their highest level, maybe the top two or three guys, they can pretty much compete anywhere, I would say. Uh, but that might always be the case, as we've seen in Eddie Alvarez or the other guys that have moved over. It's Your top two guys can pretty much compete. Everyone else gets a little shaky because there's a bunch of old has-beens or young dudes who really just aren't tested. I mean, look at what Rory, Rory's beaten the champion, the UFC welterweight champion. He's beaten Tyron Woodley. Yeah. So, you know, it's like it, there was never a question of, of how world-class Rory McDonald is. It's just the fact that now he's in Bellator and he's going to get to show it off there. Um, you know, we'll see if they can develop any talent to get in his way and slow him down. But I think a title is inevitable for Rory McDonald. I think so, too. And it's just how many titles can he collect? Because he was already talking, he'll take on anyone in any division, which is a little crazy. But, I mean, 170, 185, I'll, I'll sign up for it. 205 is a stretch. But yeah, those two divisions? Big. Yeah, but Roy McDonald's a big dude. Like, if you see him in person when he's not fighting, which I, like, I interviewed him for, I want to say, Fighters Only. No, not Fighters Only. Ultimate MMA Magazine. I hung out with him at the pool. It was during the downtime. And I was just looking. I was like, he's he's like, he's, he walks around at like 200-something pounds. He's a big dude. Very big. So he can easily make middleweight. Light heavyweight would definitely be a stretch. But 
Um, hey, it's I all like about the right team. opponent, though, right? He yeah, gets the right definitely. opponent. I, I can see him competing, and he has a style that lends towards that because he knows how to keep range. Yeah. Um, Woodley's a big dude. So, I mean, to beat a Tyron Woodley, you look at a light heavyweight, you'd be like, oh, yo, he might be able to get it. Right. So, you never know, can't discount him. Um, we got to move to the UFC finally, though. Not in the octagon, though. The biggest punch thrown last weekend, since there was no UFC fight, was Chris Cyborg offering the fade at the fighter retreat. What the hell is a fighter retreat? Well, I mean, I think... First of all, the UFC held their athletes retreat because they opened a new facility out here in Vegas. And I actually I just came from there today. Um, for, I have to say, wow, holy shit. That place is amazing. I, like I hung out there. I got the tour. I got to take a look at their, their cafeterias, like state of the art. Like so the, the fighters got to come there, see what they were getting out of like the, what the facilities that the fight that the, uh, the UFC is offering out here in Vegas now. So it was good to get them all together. But then it's bad because they're getting a bunch of fighters together and then, you know we've had stories about mike perry you know getting into with jeremy stevens and now we had this chris cyborg and uh angela magana situation where she got punched in the face for trying to bully cyborg on on social media yeah you know listen social media is real life like <laughs> this is what people forget like uh you can be a keyboard gangster all you want they catch you in the streets you're gonna you're gonna catch one and Cyborg did. Cyborg lost her cool. Uh, we talked about this privately, but I guess, you know, it's something we can talk about on podcast. Dana White's clear double standard for Cyborg. Because, you know, you know we, we've seen, we just saw at last week's press conference, you know, Kevin Lee land a punch to someone's face. No problem. That fight's going on. That's great for business. Cyborg hit someone. Oh, it's, it could be an assault case. We got to wait. We're not booking her. What kind of stupid shit is this? Well, so I, I got a chance to look a little bit, uh, a little bit deeper into this whole thing, and I think what Dana White is saying is, Chris, I, the fact that Magania has gone to the authorities is the reason why they can't book it. Because I don't think this is something that Dana White is making a decision upon. I think the fact that this may be investigated as, uh, you know, misdemeanor assault has forced him not to put her on 214 at risk of something happening where she gets pulled from the card. However, there is truly a double standard when it comes to Dana White and how he treats Cyborg versus how he's treated everybody else that's gotten into a fight. We just saw Cody Garbrandt choke TJ Dillashaw on television, uh, and they weren't in a fighting setting, and nothing happened to Garbrandt. But there was no charges pressed. So once you press charges, it makes the situation entirely different. Um, and let's be honest, anybody, like the video, you couldn't really see anything. But if Cyborg really wanted to hurt her, she could have. You know, it's like the fact that she's still standing is a testament that Cyborg was just really pissed off and, and tapped her on the chin. Um, is it wrong? Yes. Should you not put your hands on people? Yes. But on the flip side of that, if you talk about somebody in public and you, you say very crass things about them and then you see them in a public setting, expect to get hands put on you. You know, it may not be right, but you kind of ask for it. No, that's true. Um Man, it just sucks because she really wants to be on that 214 card. Hopefully it's cleared up in time and she can fight and they find her an opponent. Because it's been too long since she's, you know, fought, won. And since that belt has just been floating and doing nothing. It's her belt. That's the only time the interim belt is the real belt. Is when the, whenever it's on Cyborg's shoulder. And we need to stop playing games or get rid of the division. But it's too much half-stepping right now. Absolutely. Um, this weekend, we have UFC Stockholm. The only fight I care to preview is Gus versus Glover. Is it a number one contenders match? 
The light heavyweight division? Yes, it is. Um, <laughs> it's that thin. The, yeah, the light heavyweight division in the UFC has become extraordinarily thin. There's really not a lot of top-tier talent. I mean, Ryan Bader is defected to Bellator. So, and I mean, if you even call him, you know, top-tier talent, it's interesting. Because uh, he got knocked out by Glover Teixeira. So, yeah, I think Gus is the perfect foil for John Jones. And, you know, he, he gave Cormier hell. He just got ripped up by Anthony Johnson, who Anthony Johnson beats everybody not named Daniel Cormier. So... Yeah, this is a number one contenders fight. Um, you know, a Glover Cormier fight is interesting. A Gus John Jones fight is interesting. Those, if you flip those opponents around, not yeah. so much. I mean, Glover, not Glover. Gus gave DC one hell of a fight, though. Oh yeah, I wouldn't mind seeing that again. Um, um, Glover against either of them, I'm not that intrigued about. Well, I'm interested in Glover and Cormier because they haven't fought. But Glover fought John Jones was pretty much taken to the woodshed. There was nothing he could do. And so, that was back in his prime. Yeah, that's when Glover was on that incredible knockout win streak and was knocking people out left and right. And, you know, it's there. there is some intrigue there in Glover and Cormier. It's just uh, – but I mean, for the record, I just think Gus is going to win this fight because his length, his ability, I think he'll be too much for an older fading Glover to share no, I definitely agree. Um, looking past that, the last thing we have to talk about in the UFC is Cody Garbrandt injured out of UFC 213. It's caused a shakeup in multiple divisions. It's had a crazy tidal wave of effects. Um, first off, we have a new co-main event for 213. Romero versus Whitaker for an interim title. Belts don't mean shit no more. Um, no. I mean, I... They don't. This this fight is just kind of happening because Bisping has a, It'll be almost a year since he's fought. He's going to wait until the GSP fight. Whether he's really injured or not, we don't know. Um, but it's an intriguing fight. It just doesn't necessarily need to be for an interim title because it, it messes up everything. Yeah. How does Bisping come back from injury and not fight the interim champion? How do you then make sense of it for him to fight GSP? Or does uh, yeah, GSP truly go to welterweight? And try to get that title and then come together and fight a Bisping for, um, you know, champion versus champion. It, yeah, I mean, the whole situation is a mess. It's This is chaos theory. Like, this is <laughs> a ripple effect that, that's going to affect multiple divisions. Because if Bisping's waiting for the GSP fight and GSP were to win, yeah, that messes up everything. Because GSP's not fighting Yoel Romero. Hell no. We all know that. So he vacates the belt, then the interim champion becomes the real champion, and it just causes a bunch of mess where you got guys like Weidman, Musasi, and Rockhold sitting on the outside like, what the hell am I doing here? Like, I can't even, who am I fighting? Who's, who's going to be the title holder? It's another division being held up. Yeah, like, this <laughs> lightweight, middleweight, um, so we got lightweight being held up, middleweight's being held up. Uh, now we potentially have a situation where both bantamweight and flyweight can also be held up as well and women's featherweight is being held up this is this is a mess yeah it's bananas and then you look at the same card mighty mouse not trying to take the fight against tj dillashaw because dillashaw is now of a fight you know so dillashaw wants to challenge mighty mouse dana white spoke out a turn and announced it and mighty mouse is like yo hold on i want to fight ray borg like there's no there's no line skipping here, no cutsies. Oh man, okay. So while I appreciate what Demetrius Johnson is trying to impose here by saying you need to get in line, 
There is no line at flyweight <laughs> that TJ Dillashaw needs to stand in. So if, if the number one contender or number two on the UFC rankings who's behind Dominic Cruz wants to move the flyweight and challenge the champion who has ransacked the entire division, he can get that fight. This isn't line skip, skipping like, you know, when Conor McGregor just leapfrogged everybody to get a lightweight title fight. That's different because there's a line of people who are fully capable who haven't fought for the title yet. D- DJ's ran over that flyweight division. They're, dude, come on, Ray Borg, really? Really? <laughs> I mean, he's on a win streak. I mean, well, come on, man. Ray Borg's not even, is he top three? Come on. I think he's third. He might be. And I, I, I have to look at the rankings. But, dude, from a money-making standpoint, nobody cares. From a competitive standpoint, nobody cares. TJ Dillashaw is a, is a true challenge. And for DJ to say he needs to win a fight at flyweight first, that's not fair. I mean, I, I get what you're trying to do here. But, dude, you clean, this is your fault, DJ. You cleaned out the division. There's nobody left for you to fight. And there's nobody that anybody cares to watch you fight. It sucks because TJ Dillashaw could be the guy that ruins your win streak. But you got to take that risk. You got to dare to be great. You can't. I don't. I, I don't really like that See, approach. I don't like that approach at all. Bingo. So, and how you get Mighty Mouse in that fight is to finally cave in and give him what he's been asking for. Well, he deserves that. That's that's a million that's, dollar purse. That's it. Because yeah. if you say Mighty Mouse, I'm giving you the million you've been asking for. That you know we've given now I think five champions that purse. You know what? The hell with it. He'll say, "Yeah, I'll fight anybody." Because you concede that now, if you give him the same bullshit deal you've been giving him, no. But you give him his million dollars, some pay per view points. You'll see Mighty Mouse up there against whoever they were on a rollout, and TJ can take his what five hundred or whatever challenges get seven hundred, whatever it is now. There's a, there's a point in if. People uh, saw the Demetrius Johnson interview with ESPN where he said a lot and made a lot of great points. There was a point that he made that this is, MMA is the only sport where the best fighter gets paid the, doesn't get paid as the most money. False. Same thing happens in boxing. Roman Gonzalez was the pound-for-pound pound number one guy, and he was fighting as the co-feature to Gennady Golovkin. So the best don't always get paid. You know what I'm saying? Like the best pound-for-pound pound guys don't get paid. Yeah, it's, but it's not. It's not how it works. He's actually lucky to be in a division where he gets paid the most in his division as champion. There's some divisions where the champion doesn't get paid the most. True indeed. And that's, that's how crazy shit gets. Because Stipe just now started making more than Reed. Like, just now. Well, Connor has I mean, long since made more than everyone in any division he has stepped into. You, you well, look at Nate Diaz is going to command... And Nick Diaz, for that matter, if they take a fight, are is going to command more than the champion either one of those divisions. Nick Diaz comes out right now and says, "I'll fight for the title against Woodley." He'll jump Maya and probably make more money in that fight than Tyron Woodley. But I mean, that happens in boxing too, does it not? I mean, we just saw <laughs> Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. rob the bank and get $6 million and hadn't won a meaningful fight in five years. So this, dude, the best don't get paid. Like, Chavez was cleaning up, and he was never the best fighter in any division. Hell you know, no. he'd be like Andy Lee. Um, but, you you know, Adrian Broner's getting paid a boatload of money, and he's not a, an elite fighter. Did but, Chavez make more than Andre Ward? No, that Rock Nation deal pays Andre Ward a lot of money. He made uh, more than Kovalev then. Yeah, yeah. Hell yeah. Uh, Kovalev didn't get three mil right there at the doorstep. 
No, but but that's but my point. It's like, but Roman Gonzalez was never making any of that money. He was pound for pound. As soon as Floyd retired, Roman Gonzalez was elevated to the number one spot. Yes. So he's not, he's not commanding that money. So while I appreciate what DJ is saying that he should get paid more, which he should get paid more because he's a dominant force and one of the best fighters out there, the fact remains is that you're still not an attraction. And there's a lot of factors that go into that, unfortunately. Um, but it is what it is. Like, Canelo and Chavez, like Chavez was an attraction to an, a, a Mexican audience who wanted to see that fight. There's no there's no real attraction to DJ right now. And it, it, like I said, it's for a bunch of circumstances that are beyond his control, some that are in his control because he could be a little bit more outgoing. He could have had some of these interviews earlier in his career, but it is what it is. You know, it's, I mean, <laughs> deal it, with you, it. Yeah, you got you kind of got to deal with it now. If he gets the million dollar purse, but it, again, who else is going to be on this pay per view? It has to make sense for it to make dollars. Like the UFC is not just going to pay DJ to headline a card against Dillashaw with nobody else that can draw the the numbers. Like if DJ fights Ray Borg, I'd be surprised if that thing cracked 150 buys. You know what I'm saying? 150,000. But it's just it it's the business of the sport, and that's just the way it goes. Bottom line, fight Dillashaw. That's the most appealing fight. It's the most attractive. Like even Cody Garbrandt said something dumb, like you should wait to fight me. No, dude, you got hurt, not me. <laughs> yeah. Like, let me go make this money. Time. Yeah, let me try to win this. Ter- like, if I win this title, it, uh, we don't know what'll happen if Dillashaw beats uh, Mighty Mouse. Oh, then That's he goes just- up and he fights Cody Garbrandt and is champion well, versus champion. But I'm just saying, now you have a, another division held up, right? I like, mean, there's shit left in that division. Let's be. You just hey. said this. But do you know how many flyways will rejoice if DJ gets beat? Because yeah, now they have a, a chance again. But no, they don't because DJ's just going to say run it back. And then it's now you got to beat DJ twice. It's just good. Like you have to see the king get beat in order for there to be <laughs> opportunities created. Yeah. Um, but ultimately, that fight needs to happen in August. Um, they're talking about doing the pay-per-view, which would I assume be UFC 215 in Washington where, where DJ is from. Dude, do a Dillashaw fight. If you're going to break the record, do it in style. Ray Borg? I don't really care about that fight. Nah. All right. We got to take a break. We're going to come back, talk wrestling really quick before I got to get out of here. I have stuff to do. I'm preparing for the NBA Finals. Just got my credentials in today. And there's a lot of stuff to get ready. Fancy. I'm fancy. Yeah, I don't got a maid here cleaning behind me. You guys stay tuned. We'll be right back. All right, everybody. Before we continue to talk more combat sports, We've got to give another thanks to Casper Mattresses. Casper Mattresses combine two technologies, springing latex foam and supportive memory foam to create an award-winning sleep surface. Have y'all ever slept on memory foam? It's like floating on air. It's that great. And this is how we get our sleep. So you guys make sure that you check it out. Casper Mattresses are made in the USA and have free shipping and returns to the US and Canada. Shout out to the Great North. You can buy your Casper mattress easy online, and it's completely risk-free. Look, dude, you spend like a third of your life sleeping, and Casper understands the importance of trying out a mattress before you commit. Look, so if you aren't satisfied with the Casper mattress, you got a 100-day period. Yeah, that's right, 100 days. You know, like, 100 days of sleeping, by, by about that time, I think I know if I like my mattress. So get a Casper mattress for $500 for a twin or $950 for a king size. And you can save an additional $50 towards your Casper mattress by going to casper.com backslash the corner and entering the promo code the corner. That's casper.com backslash the corner. Promo code the corner to save $50 towards your Casper purchase. Terms and conditions apply. Look, again, man, I like to sleep and these things are for real. 
All right, we are back. Pro wrestling time. Woo! I know you guys can't wait for it. Shout out to all my marks out there. Listen to the podcast of me talking wrestling for 40 minutes over the weekend. I didn't have Andreas here telling me I was crazy, and I let loose. Damn, that was fun. That's how you kick in 29 years. 29th birthday, come in just talking reckless and wild like you were never going to hear it. So now, but you are. <laughs> now the platform is here. Um, first, got to talk about New Japan, though. Best of the Super Juniors tournament. Some good matches so far. Ricochet versus Osprey, Skrull versus Osprey, damn near anyone versus Osprey. But we have ACH in there. Uh, shit, Liger has had some good matches. It's been a really good tournament so far. How far into it are you, and do you like it? Um, I'm on day three, so I got some catching up to do. Of course I like it. I mean, this <laughs> this is, you know, I mean, the fact that, like, we didn't even talk about Marty Skrull uh, joining the Bullet Club. Wow, that was great um, how that was handled. But um, the fact that this tournament has so, many, so much talent and it, they, they, it's translating. Uh, the Skrull-Osprey finish was fantastic. Um you know, I mean, there's been some great matches. So anybody who hasn't watched Best of Super Juniors yet, you need to watch. It's a lot to watch. But, you know, I mean, I'm catching up. I got I got to catch up. I'm like three days behind, but I got to catch up. But it's, it's great. Now, the, the question is, who's going to win this? Based on what you've seen thus far, and I don't know how far along you are, but who do you have pegged to win this? the Best of Super Juniors? I am midway through day four. Um, no, nah, man, it's tough right now. Because it's still close. I hate when they do this shit. Um, I'm going to go with Skrull. You're going to go with Skrull? Yeah. Debuting and, and winning it. And that's tough, man. But even the reaction from the crowd and everything. Because what? They've been to three different venues at this point? Yeah. And which I love that it's a traveling aspect, by the way. Um, yeah, each crowd just pops crazy for Skrull. That, that promo hits and it's just next level. I, I think Marty takes it. And which is so uncharacteristic for New Japan because they make you earn your shit. Skrull's not going to win this tournament. Oh, damn. I, I, I'm putting all my money on Dragon Lee right now. Dragon Lee's been good, though. The, and the reason why, but here's the reason why. Like, New Japan knows how to tell a story. And they're very smart with this. Dragon Lee and Takahashi have had a feud that has lasted many years. It's probably one of the best in-ring feuds Around in pro wrestling, that's on par with what we've seen out of Sami Zayn or El Generico and Kevin Steen, who is now Kevin Owens. These these guys, if you watch any Takahashi Dragon Lee match from CMLL, Ring of Honor, they've had these ridiculously great matches. Yeah. You look at the match that they had at Best of Super Juniors with Dragon Lee beating the champion. It sets up a rematch for after Dragon Lee wins this tournament. And continues that narrative. See, but I don't Marty, think he has to win the tournament to get that. Well, the winner gets an automatically uh, automatic title shot. That's the point of the tournament. Just like a G1, you get a title shot at Wrestle Kingdom. Best of Super Juniors, the winner of that gets a title shot. Yeah, I know. So, so if you if you're gonna go that route and you're gonna put Dragon if Dragon Lee beat Takahashi, like as soon as I saw that and the way that he beat him as well, the way they beat him with that suplex, who who Dragon Lee has beaten Takahashi with that that finish before. New Japan is not stupid. They know how to tell this story. So there's, I have a distinct possibility that, that Dragon Lee is going to win this tournament. So Marty Skrull doesn't, doesn't need to have his crowning moment until Wrestle Kingdom. That's true. So you can kind of wait on, on Marty Skrull to get his moment. So we can agree that no one in Block B is winning this. No. <laughs> uh, okay. <thank> you. <laughs> At no, least we agree I, on that. Like, who is the big Like, Kushida? Like, yeah, Kushida's probably the... 
I mean, Kushida, like Kushida, had, got ran. Like there, there's another storyline. I like there. ACH a lot though. They won't give like ACH is in the same position that Michael Elgin was when he was in G1. And I know there's like a lot of people listening right now that don't watch enough New Japan, but if you do, you know exactly what I'm talking about. When Michael Elgin was in G1, he was just happy to be there, but it was his, his it was his opportunity to show what he had. There was no way he was going to win that tournament. Yeah. But once he showed what he had, Gato and the Bookers in New Japan was like, Shh, "You should be here more often." ACH has been dying to be in New Japan. Like you can see when he comes out to the ring, how excited he is. So he's not there to win it. He's there to have some great matches. And he's been having those he, matches. Exactly. So he's there to prove that he belongs in New Japan. He's not going to win that tournament, though. Yeah, it's just wrong. I mean, Kushida, Tiger Mask ain't winning this year. Nope. Nah, that's, yeah, I mean, Kushida. But now for the final, it's like, yo, okay, whatever. That's It's I mean, way too stacked in a block A. That's just, just the fact of the matter. Because even but... Jushin Thunder Liger. At 87 years old, <laughs> is having good ass matches because everyone else around him is great. No, it, I mean it's true. Like Block A is stacked, but I think there's an idea here. Like if it's Dragon Lee and um, Kushida in the, in the final, I don't think anybody will complain because obviously Kushida wants another shot at Takahashi after he got dragged in the last pay per view in, in a matter of minutes, and Dragon Lee wants to continue that feud. So. I think there's a narrative there. Uh, it could obviously it could change. Like you yeah. could be totally right. Skrull could win this whole thing, or it could or, be Will Osprey, or it could be Ricochet. Ricochet. You know what I mean, Ricochet. They've been. It looks like they've been pushing him closer to a title. Right. Closer, so, closer. It's, so it's damn the block A being stacked, man. You just can't tell. It's going to come down to the last day, just like block A last year. Um, in what? Oh damn, who was it? Tanahashi. Somebody came from behind last year. Crazy. Oh. Yeah, it was it was the ace, man. Like he he lost early, and I remember a lot of like people three, like, oh, is it three over? in a row when we were talking yeah. about it. And I was like, no, there's a plan here because they, it's the, the story is does Tanahashi still got it? Listen, New <laughs> Japan tells the best stories in ring in pro wrestling. Period. Like they don't need a bunch of promos for you to to understand what they're doing, like the WWE does. Yeah. New Japan is like it's a much more physical style, obviously, but when it comes to that in ring action. Like, you get what they're trying to do with this. Like, the fact that Kenny Omega's one-wing angel is a finisher he didn't hit on Okada, best believe that's coming back around. Oh, yeah. Like, you know, they play it smart. So, I, I love these tournaments. Obviously, G1 is around the corner, which is you should be announcing that, that field very soon. Man, New Japan is just, they're on fire, man. Sorry, WWE, but you're trash right now. Yeah, they just book everything right. That's just what it, it, what, it's what it is. They book everything right. They don't miss. And that's no. one hell of a track record, man. It doesn't matter who's there. They book everyone to their fullest capability. And it makes people who are, quote-unquote, average into stars. And it makes the stars into superstars. And that's what they're good at. So let's talk about the WWE, who you just called garbage. Um, NXT TakeOver Chicago. Don't yawn at this shit. <laughs> NXT TakeOver Chicago. Top three to five takeover ever okay i was a little bit enthusiastic on the podcast this this weekend it was i was hyped i was drinking a lot it was my birthday whatever i do what i want now i'm back to earth i watched it again it's top five it, it was really good i thought and it could have been better if it featured all of the talent that i thought it should have you know with cassius ono um man with alistair black those guys would have took it over the top but it is what it is i, I thought one more match probably could have Really put it on par, but that's just me. Yeah, I disagree. Um, 
I think it was better than what we expected. And I think because it was better than what any of us expected, because it felt like there's a takeover this weekend. Like, that was a lot of reaction by people. And then it was like, you looked at the card, you were like, eh, it's cool. No real star power. Um, but it, it exceeded expectations. And that's why it lands on a lot of people's lists higher. But when you look at those takeovers for the past two years, when Balor fought Owens, when Zane and Owens, and you look at... Uh, Zane Knock. Uh, yeah, Zane Knocker, like the Brooklyn card, probably one of the best ever. It started off hot with American Alpha winning that title. Like, that was on fire. You look at the London card. Um, you, I mean, they TakeOver set a precedent very early on that it, was, it became must-watch television every Wednesday because of TakeOver, because of how it all culminated in all the talent. I don't think the talent in this, this was that good. Aside from Bait versus Dunn, which we can talk about, dude, I, I, I thought Bobby Roode and Tommy was was okay the best rude match i've seen so far it doesn't say much to me because i know (laughs) like like i i've said this time and time again i think rude is a solid worker i think he's like diet triple h i think there's so much more personality and presentation that there is ability and not to say he's a bad worker i think he's a serviceable worker but against the tommy like you when you watch that match nothing really stood out like it was it was a decent match and, and, and sadly it's the time is up for a Tommy like the 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 bus has left the building and he missed it when everybody else got on and got got the boost up to the, the main roster. Yeah. Tommy's it's kind of over for him. But that match was it was what it was. It was like a three star match. I don't I didn't think it was great. I, nothing surprised me. Um, so yeah. So then the tag match, which we will talk about more in depth about the the split, which was handled great. Phenomenally handled. Like uh, NXT has had some of the greatest finishers. Going back to when Owens turned on Zayn, that was phenomenal. <laughs> yeah. But but the match itself, authors of pain are somewhat improving. But uh, that's a testament to how good Champa uh, and Gargano are in that ring. And the latter match, it was very good. Um, but was it as good as uh, DIY versus the Revival? Two out of three? No. It was, was probably this- the worst tag match we've seen in the past two years. So how can you say that? Well, that's me revision revisionist history. I you know I, I look back and I went down and I looked at the other tag matches and it probably is the worst tag match we've seen. Okay, and then can you can we agree this is probably one of the worst title matches that we've seen the NXT title? Oh, I don't know. I mean, I didn't like the Rude Nakamura ones as much as I thought I did. Um, those were pretty bad. Rude slow, slowed him down to crawl. Uh, there was the Balor Samoa Joe cage match, which was better. Which I thought was pretty bad. It, it was better than Rude to Tommy. Like yeah, I guess my expectations were low. My expectations for all of those are high. Exactly. Well, exactly. I mean, this, we'll have a whole conversation about Nakamura and everything else. But you know, the four way that they had with Kid, Zane, um, Neville. And Breeze back in the day, that was an incredible match. Like when Owens had the title, Owens against Balor uh, in the latter match, that was an incredible match. This is the lower rung of, of NXT titles. Then the women's title. The women's titles had phenomenal matches. This is also this, the worst women's title we've so seen this, in two years. How could this be a top five pay per view? Well, now looking back, to me, going through though, I can pick apart. I guess good aspect, this women's title match was good. This one was good. But the card just seemed like before it was, we had two good matches and the rest were bad matches. This, to me, it it could be the worst out of that group, but it wasn't a bad, like, to me, I didn't have that one horrible match on this card. Every other card has had that one horrible match. So what is this? This has been, oh, there's been some bad matches. 
I mean, but horrible. I mean, look, look, look. Roderick Strong, as much as I love him, and I thought it's like he carried Eric Young on his back for that match. Yeah, Roddy was good. I thought that was a good match. Yeah, but but it was because of Roddy. And I mean, the match itself, it was decent. The women's tag match was very disjointed. It was. It may have been the worst match on that card. Yeah, in which it was just. I mean, you look and Ember Moon getting hurt last second really hurt that because her and Oscar have been working for what five months since we've seen them, and they were supposed to carry that. And, and, and uh, like, I don't want to indulge in this too much, but like, super jerk Oscar, I don't like. I like, I, I, I like Oscar being a, the ass kicking, you know. But her escaping with wins and then like celebrate, I, I don't really like that Oscar. I think this Asuka's is the first be, time you don't like someone more as an asshole heel. Well, because I don't think it works. Like, I think Oscar, who she is, was already borderline heel. Like, she was cocky, she was arrogant. But her escaping with wins and her, like, you know, when the, the match was announced and her, like, eyes being wide, like, being like a chicken shit heel, I'm not a fan of that Asuka. Like, right. I think <laughs> she, she can be a badass and still be a heel. I don't, I don't know why they have to put this, this you know, this over-the-top um, demeanor on her to, to make sure that she's a heel. She's a heel. We get it. She cheated her way through the Ember Moon match. I mean, she escaped that particular match. But they, we don't have to do all this. The, the, she the won this one clean. She did, but the way that she did, like, I'm just saying her mannerisms are over the top. But that's like, what you want from Nakamura. And we'll talk about this in a little while. No, that's not what I want from Nakamura, and I'll explain that you later. You want but go super ahead. asshole Nakamura, but you don't want it from Oscar. No, no, no. It's, there's a difference. Like, I've been watching Nakamura for years in New Japan. And when Nakamura was borderline heel, or when he was a heel, and he was just beating people up, he was he was better. Like, there's there's been nothing wrong with Nakamura's like character his work has been my issue his his in ring goes on cruise control oscar i have character issues with her being a heel hmm. and that has nothing to do with the in ring performance it's it's character issues and and you know in who she is like if you send this version of oscar up to the main roster it's not as badass as it was before the ember moon match like okay. it's not as dangerous it doesn't feel as lethal like now it's like you're you're almost creating an atmosphere where she can lose. Before she was unbeatable. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if that makes sense. Like no, it does. It, it's like they're breaking down the walls of Asuka as a heel to eventually make her lose. But I don't think that's the way you need to do it in order. Like you can still keep her as a badass. And yeah. Ember Moon could be the one that escapes with the win when she finally does beat her. No, but I think they're trying to soften the blow for when she does lose. Because if people, if you get just enough people to dislike the character. They won't flip on you when she does lose, cause the way she was, the character, the you know she's she was so badass, but still kind of had an underdog tinge to her, where she was she had something to prove. How about that? And she well, always did, and you always rooted for her to prove and, and solidify herself as the best. And now they were just like, yo, we can't do that and have her give up the belt. You just couldn't. But you can, and here's why. Here's exactly why. When Oscar finally drops the title to Ember Moon. It's a signal that she's going up to the main roster yeah. when that happens. That night, it's not like nobody's going to know she's going up to the main roster. Everybody's going to know she's going up to the main roster. And what are they going to do when she loses that match? Thank you, Asuka. Yeah. And, she's going to, and they're going to shake hands, and she's going to leave. Mm -hmm. She can do that as a badass because no matter how you book this, when it's time for Asuka to go, they're going to cheer it's for It's going to be the same reaction. That's true. So, so you don't need to do this to soften the blow. Like, if she lo like, have Ember Moon be the one to escape beating Asuka. 
You see what I'm saying? Like you like I don't need her it to be like a dominant. You know, she hits the finisher and and everybody jumps up. No, I'd like to see Ember Moon narrowly beat Oscar. Okay. Narrowly become the champion, and Oscar's like, "All right, my time's up here. See you guys later. I'm on the main roster, kicking ass." But that finisher is everything. So he, it, it is. I it mean, is. But you got it. She has to hit that. Um, what else? Oh, bait versus done. Before we can move on to oh, a yeah, quick on, man, backlash. Do you really call this a six star match? It is definitely a five star match. It is not definitely a five star match. It's a five star match. You guys have the worst skit. Like what? was remotely wrong with this match okay what was remotely missing that's not the point what? there's nothing there's if you nothing, can't find anything no, 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 bad no, no, no. what i'm about to I'm about, I'm about to explain this to you okay. the difference between a five-star match and a 4.75 star match is there is this story element that cannot be denied so when you look at cm punk versus john cena which was like the first five-star match that wwe had in forever mm -hmm. there was a narrative into that match that gave you a more of an emotional investment than anything else when tanahashi and okada fought at wrestle kingdom that feud had bubbled over so well when those two finally met in the ring and some of those some of those moments that you'll remember like okada holding tanahashi Sand to try to finish him off with that last rainmaker is what puts a match into that five-star rating. Um, with Okada and Omega, you had something that was unbelievable from front to back. Not to say that Bait versus Dunn wasn't amazing. It, it was to me, it was very close to a five-star match, and it was a great match, but it didn't have the same emotional investment. Because we a, don't see them every week. It, we did. We haven't seen them since the last one. And to okay. their credit, they tried to build it during that tournament. I don't. That's not my fault. I'm just saying my. my <laughs> Like the, the the work was great. Like AJ Styles and Nakamura was in some people's eyes a five star match, but some people said it was missing a story element to, to give it a five star. I'm a harsh grader. Y'all not like y'all who listen know who I am. I don't I don't hang out hand out classic ratings to albums. I don't hand out classic ratings to anything. And when I do, you know I mean it. So the bait done match, as great as it was, and how phenomenal as that finish was, can you tell me that it was right now that it was better? than Zayn Nakamura in your mind in my mind I think it was you think it was yeah no I, I'm pretty I mean do you want me to go right it was better than Zayn Nakamura okay then that's fine but Zayn Nakamura wasn't a five-star it match. wasn't and that's all that's my justification for it being five-star because I think Zayn Nakamura just missed it and there was little aspects where they had like little lulls this had a constant build it was, I, con I, it was innovation it was Fresh, they have their story behind them. It wasn't a one-off like Zayn Nakamura. They have a story. They built it during the tournament. The upset, the first time when we all thought that, you know, Dunn was going to win the belt. And then going from there and everything coming back and, and bait being 20 and the young up and start and underdog and blah, blah, blah. And then it all comes forward and Dunn finally takes it. It, it, it had the great story. I don't think it, like I thought it had a good story, but it's it's the same as, um, not the same, but when Cedric Alexander, Alexander, uh, it, um, why why can't I think of the match right now? Uh, Cedric and from the CWC. Oh, Abushi. Oh yes, Cedric and Abushi. That wasn't a five star match. No. As great as that was, but I think for me it's just me drawing. I draw a line and and I say okay, does it check off all of these boxes? And then when I compare it. Because, dude, like, New Japan has had, like, a ridiculous year in, in, for five-star matches and, and close to five-star matches. Yeah. And Omega and Okada, 
it's I don't like I don't six stars ridiculous, but I, I get the point that Meltzer was trying to make with that match, and I watched it again recently. And I was like, dude, this match was unbelievable. Dunn and Bait was it, it's close. It's the best match in the WWE this year for sure. But I don't, I, I, I will stop short of calling it a five star match. Yeah, it was better than Styles versus Cena from Rumble, and that shit was close. That was four point five. Yeah, so I like I said, four point seven five. I can do that. Like Styles, like Styles and Cena had had an excellent match, but they had a story to go. You at least got to give this shit like seven eighths. Like so, no, like, man, seven five. I, I, dude, I'm four and three quarter stars or four and a half stars. Like I have, I've yet to go back and watch it again. But I, and I thought the finish was hot. Um, I thought it was beautiful when Dunn got the cover and he looked like he was crying. Like, yo, this was a great match. But I'm not – I can't give it – it's not a five-star match. But it's very close. It's the best match. But, I, I, like, I think, in my opinion, like, when something's not a five-star, there's some people who are like, that's a slight. But it's not. Like, I have higher standards. Like, I, I think y'all, y'all just got to understand. I have super high standards. Super high you standards. You tried to not give Kanye, you know, my beautiful dark twisted fantasy a five-star too, so – or yeah, five like, mics. So I understand. You try to jip Kanye out of him. I didn't try to jip him out of him. Like, I'm just saying, like, the, the fact of the matter is, is that it just takes a lot to, to it takes a lot of elements that are even, like, a five star is even beyond the match itself. The emotional investment, the crowd. Like, there's so many things. And this crowd was hot. Everything, just about everything was right. I just, it was close, but not five star. And it, it, that's, it's still the be- one of the best matches. It's going to end on, up on best of list for sure at the end of the year. All right, uh, we have backlash as well this weekend. Nothing really there. I'm up against the fence, so let's see what can we talk about from backlash. Jinder Mahal won, which the right decision was made. Definitely, Uh, Uh, that was that match match was horrible. Whatever. Uh, Owens versus Styles, best match of the night. Easily told a great story. Like, I had to watch it back a second time to really look at, like, some of the limb work that Kevin Owens and AJ Styles were working on with that leg. And then it's probably one of the best count-out finishes the WWE's had in years. That shit was great, right? Getting your foot stuck in the table? It's, it, though my only concern now is that they're going directly into Money in the Bank. Mm-hmm. So when are they, they going to finish the story? Oh, it has to be right after, right? It, like, Weird. somehow Owens has to cost Styles the Money in the Bank. And neither of them are going to win it. It's so. just it's just weird that now we have to put like it on the feud on pause because now there's six people involved in this ladder match. But you can build it within the feud, or the feud you, within the match. You can, but I, I I think Styles and Owens is special, yeah, right? Like, they deserve like, their own. Yeah, like, they deserve their time, and they they don't deserve to have any interference by anybody. But you I know think, what this does? This what? moves the feud into SummerSlam. Which is great, which I'm, I'm totally fine yeah, with. because you press pause, and then a one-on-one at whatever the hell July is, and then, boom, you're right there, and SummerSlam is the rubber match. Well, so, so th- I guess this is my gripe, then. My gripe is, is that the fact that they are in this, engaged in this U.S. title feud at Money in the Bank automatically eliminates them from winning this. Correct. Whereas, if they weren't in this feud, then you'd be like, dude, I don't know who's going to win. Like, yeah. you would have no clue. As long as Baron Corbin or Dolph Ziggler don't win, because Ziggler has no heat right now, I don't care. Like, I, I don't even mind Sami Zayn winning. But now it's, like, coming down to Nakamura. Sami Zayn. Or, yeah, like, That's it. you've eliminated those two, and I, I don't like that they've done that to this match. Yeah. Um, talking about that real quick, our last question here was, which match is better, Extreme Rules, Fatal Five-Way, or Money in the Bank? 
Money in the bank. I mean, I don't even think this is a competition. <laughs> uh, even, like, yeah, me too. Even knowing that only two people could win, I don't even care. Look, I, I, dude, I do not care at all. <laughs> like, you look at the Money in the Bank match and the fact that you have AJ Styles and Nakamura and, and Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn involved in the ladder match and Dolph Ziggler, who can perform when he's up to it. Well, shit, Dolph Ziggler can perform a lot. Let's, Dolph Ziggler's cat, like, he's had some great spots in ladder matches. Yeah, like he, but he's an excellent performer. He's just, it's yeah. just Dolph Ziggler. Before we go, can we really talk? Can we talk about this Nakamura problem? Yes. What did what, what did you think of the Dolph Ziggler match? Um, I thought it was decent. I I went back and I watched it again because I had nothing but time the other day. I watched it from my phone, and I I thought it was a little bit better than I originally thought as well. Um, Nak wasn't on cruise control as much as I thought. There were some good strikes in that match. Uh, they tried to be as hard-hitting as they could. It's just, in the end, there was still something missing. There there was... You know what it is? I feel like people are in awe of Nakamura. And they don't get their offense off enough to make it believable. That's the difference between here and New Japan, in my eyes so far. After I watched that match again. It's Sami Zayn wasn't in awe. He got his offense off. Nak got his offense off. It was a good match. The match where Z- Joe and Nak really just went like straight strong style hitting each other. Offense on both sides. Great match. I think that's the one Joe won. And that was, that's been it for Nakamura. When you're not in awe and you're not just trying to set him up because he is quote unquote the guy. You can have great matches. And that's what everyone did in New Japan. Because in New Japan, Nak wasn't the guy. He was never the champion. So everyone respected him, but they also was like, no, I'm getting my stuff in too. And that's the difference. That's what I don't see right now. Okay. So, one, I don't think it's necessarily in awe. I think because you have your aging, you have your people booking the matches, and you book your finishes. Then you have your work. Yeah. So in Nakamura's case, if you go back and watch a lot of New Japan matches, and I use this in our group chat, so I guess I'll use it on the phone. I enjoy Nakamura when he's not working, uh, when he's working from under and he's not working on top. And I like him when he's more of a bully and he's not trying to necessarily prove. Well, he's working on top, not from under. He's trying to prove something right now. And he's trying to win over fans. And there's this like, there's this crew, like he, what that means is he kind of goes through his same motions in every match. Like, you know, you're going to get that knee strike on the corner. You know, like there's a lot of things that happen that are very similar in Nakamura matches. When Nakamura is working as a bully, it's a lot of more aggression and it's a lot more arrogance that bleeds into his matches. When he faced Ziggler, which this should be a match of, you know, of two styles that should mesh very well together, it, Nakamura is working to prove, like he's working to go through his fan favorite motions. And it, when that happens, it stalls out everything and it moves a lot slower. Like there's not a ton of surprises. And if you watch some of Nakamura matches, he does weird things. Like sometimes he'll forget to sell a limb. Like when I think when Bobby Roode was working on, yeah. you know, like, like he'll forget to sell it. Right. So it's like my issue has been ever since Nakamura has arrived, he has underwhelmed me more than he's overwhelmed me. The Nakamura Zane match was great, but the Joe feud didn't reach the peaks that we thought it would. Um, even his match with Balor, while good, it never reached that peak. And this Ziggler match, we thought we'd get it out of Nakamura. We haven't gotten it out of Nakamura. And it's, it's concerning because he did the same thing in New Japan. Like, when he had his great matches, he was great. But everything in between, there were moments where he just cruised by on who he is. Yeah, he was and never Okada. Right. So, it's like, 
there that's my problem with him and it's like if you can't have him and then plus the wwe style does slow him down because if you look at like a strike like a close fist strike in new japan means so much more than it does in the wwe yeah. which has kind of made like spamming finishers in the wwe has gotten kind of ridiculous like like you hit your finisher and you know he's going to kick out of it right yeah. In, in New Japan, like, you hit your finish, like, the one-way angels, like, created to be the most devastating move ever. Now, in the sense of, like, the Rainmaker, for instance, when, you know, Okada had to face Shibata, Okada needed multiple Rainmakers to finish him off, and he knew it. And, like, like Bumaye was, was the same way. Like, yo, he's hitting yeah. four Bumayes to win this shit. Exactly. And it wasn't like he hit a Bumaye, he pinned him, was like, oh, God, it didn't work. Hit a Bumaye, pinned him, oh, God, it didn't work. It was yeah. like... Nope. Bumaye, Bumaye, Bumaye. Like, Bobby Roode did it. He changed his finishers against Atami, and I appreciate that because you know it takes more. For whatever reason, Okada just hasn't told that. Like, he hasn't been a good... Gotcha. Yeah, Nakamura has not told a great story in the, in the ring yet, except for that Zayn match and in one of the Joe matches, which was done well, but he just hasn't hit that, that, that gear, and, and I don't know when it's going to come out of him. He's a big moment wrestler also. How long but, until Nakamura is just... Japanese Bobby Roode. Well, he—I don't think he will, but I think where, where character just carries like and in ring goes by the wayside. Well, I think we've already seen peak Bobby Roode, right? Like, I don't think Bobby Roode gets any better than this. He's wrestled for a long time, TNA. Like, he's True. never been that guy. Nakamura, we've seen peak Nakamura. We've seen what, when peak Nakamura comes out yeah. to play. It's it's a sight to behold. We just haven't seen it on the main roster, and I just don't know what's what, what's going to happen. Um, I don't know what it is. Like it's maybe he needs to be a heel, or maybe like the fact that he's such a babyface, and it, there's a difference between being a babyface and being over. Like he's such a babyface right now that he can only do babyface things, and it it kind of takes the douchebag out of Nakamura, which really carried him in New Japan. So it bleeds into his matches. Like the character bleeds into his matches, and I'm just, I just, I'm not impressed. Like this is the Nakamura I saw wrestle AJ Styles or Okada or Ishii or in G1. Like it's he's not there yet. No, I agree. It, something's missing. Hopefully, SmackDown roster brings it out because there's a lot of good matchups. Yeah, definitely a lot of good matchups. Hopefully, you know we see something in the Money in the Bank that plants a little egg for the him and Zayn feud to go a lot longer. And maybe we get heel Nakamura versus underdog Sami Zayn at some point. So, listen, oh. Jinder Mahal's the champion. Sami Zayn got a shot. Oh, boy. All right. Well, he got a shot. But that's right the end now, of the show for me. Yeah. We're <laughs> out of here for right now. Make sure you guys follow us on all social media platforms at the Corner LSN. I'm at Kel Dansby. He's at Andreas Hell on everything. I got a rush. I got stuff to do. It's incredibly difficult to book two weeks of travel in one day. I'm going to try doing that shit right after this. Make sure you guys hit us up. Until next week, though, we're out. Peace. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website 
are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.